Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, January 9th, 2022. It focuses on the revelation of Jesus' divinity at his transfiguration. The message to all who will listen is Jesus, God's Son, is worthy of worship, and all who encounter him must bow before him. Now here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Well, it's good to be with you today and to have the opportunity, the privilege of sharing God's word with you. And so let's pray and invite God to come and speak to us in this place today. God, I pray that your word would accomplish your purposes in this place, in us today, that we would hear your spirit speak and that we'd be obedient to whatever it is that the spirit says. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So way back in 1974 or 75-ish, a superhero burst onto the scene in Seattle, Washington. Lightning Boy did not garner much press coverage, so you probably haven't heard of him. His exploits were limited to saving the day on the View Ridge Elementary Playground. His superpowers were running really, really fast and jumping off of stuff to catch bad guys. You're thinking that I'm talking about The Flash. I assure you, Lightning Boy and The Flash are not the same. The Flash, a.k.a. Barry Allen, is an imaginary character created by writer Gardner Fox and artist Harry Lampert in 1939. He is part of the DC pantheon of fictional superheroes. Lightning Boy is real, and his alter ego is none other than... <laughs> Your pastor! <laughs> okay. Until this morning, I was able to hide the truth about my superhero past only because I went into hiding after 1975 and my mom was sworn to secrecy. You're off the hook now. <laughs> the beard helps too because Lightning Boy couldn't grow a beard to save his life. Now that you know the truth, let me ask you a question Can you still? Tell it's me with my glasses off. <laughs> of course you can. It's always puzzled me how the people at the Daily Planet in a metropolis couldn't figure out that Clark Kent was Superman. It's the same guy. When he steps out of the phone booth, nobody knows that it was Clark Kent. Were they blind? Didn't they get it? Thanks for indulging my little trip down memory lane. The third grader hiding inside of me is certainly grateful for your patient endurance of my <laughs> lightning boy experience. Well, surprise, surprise, we're back in Mark today. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9, and we're beginning the second half of this 16-chapter book. We're going to watch as Jesus' true identity is revealed. There have, of course, been plenty of hints as to who he is in the preceding chapters. We've seen him drive out evil spirits and heal people. 
We've watched him calm a raging storm and feed thousands with meager rations. He did that twice. And we've seen Jesus walk on water. We've seen him raise the dead. Who is this? That's what the disciples asked after they saw Jesus calm the storm, the waves, and the wind. And months later, Jesus asked the same question, basically, of his crew. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Mark's recounting of this event is found toward the end of Mark chapter 8, which we covered a couple of weeks ago. But let me go back, because we didn't really talk about this passage. Let me go back and read it for you. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. This is a big moment. Up to this point, there is no non-demon-possessed human who has dared to speak the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. But there have been incidences where someone has spoken the truth out loud. Way back in chapter 1, we had this in verses 21 to 28. Perhaps you'll remember it as I read. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath day came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching, and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. In chapter 5, another devil-addled man speaks up, and I want you to hear what he says. I'm reading verses 6 through 8. We're jumping into the middle of a story, and I apologize for that. You can go back and read the whole context if you'd like later. I just want you to hear what this man says in verses 6 through 8 of chapter 5. When he, that is the demon-possessed man, saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So who is Jesus? If you believe the testimony of the spirits in these men and the words that Peter spoke, you know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. He is God's Son. He is the Messiah. The word Messiah means the anointed one or the chosen one. It was the word that the Jewish people had used to identify the one that God had promised descend to rescue them. We're ready now for Mark chapter 9, and Scott has agreed to read the whole chapter for us. So as he does so, pay attention to what God says to you. Note the things that stand out to you. Look for the biggest of reveals coming concerning Jesus. There's a lot in this chapter's 50 verses. So let's listen to God's word and let the Spirit speak as Scott reads for us. 
And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and, and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matters to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and you spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive him out? He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching the disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant. 
and were afraid to ask about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What are you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out the demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life main than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes up. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with each other. Lots of stuff in this chapter. Things that uh, stood out to me as Scott was reading. Unfortunately, we don't have time to cover everything because I have one thing that I want to focus on today. And maybe you can guess what it is, but we'll get to that in a second. So, did God speak to you as you were hearing his word? That's what we go to God's word for, is to hear from him. You don't come to church to hear from me, you come to hear from God. And so I hope that as his word was being spoken, that you heard his spirit. So take what the spirit says to you and go and obey that. Submit to God's rule and do everything that he's told you to do this week. You do follow him on Tuesdays and Fridays too, right? Not just Sundays. If you love Jesus, you're going to obey his commandments. He said that this would be the evidence of the love that his disciples had for him. And this is what he says in John chapter 14, 23 to 24. He says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So love is not just feeling gushy about Jesus, like I kind of like him and he's kind of neat. It's obeying him. Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. So obey God's word to you today. Obey God's word to you every day. This is the way of the disciple. James instructs, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. God help us to love him with obedience. 
As we've been going through Mark's gospel, our focus has been on Jesus's character, who he is, what he's like. So far, we've seen that he's holy and compassionate. He's forgiving, good, fearless, generous, authoritative, wise, straightforward, patient, and persistent. Mark 9 reveals more of Jesus's character. The narrative arc in the 50 verses of this chapter, which we just heard, show us his powerful and glorious side. This chapter opens with a simple statement from Jesus in verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. Now, these words are a continuation of a longer statement which began in Mark chapter 8. This is one of the many unfortunate splits made by the dividers of scriptures when they decided to place numbers in there so that we could find things easier and talk about things so that we were on the same page. But sometimes the way that they split verses and chapters, it kind of muddles things. And this is one of those places. So let me give you the context for Mark chapter 9, verse 1. I'm going to read the verses just before that. This is what Jesus was saying. And chapter 9, verse 1 is a continuation of the same conversation. So listen to what Jesus is saying. This is Mark 8, 34 to 38. Then he, that is Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. First off, take note that Jesus hints at his someday in the future return to earth. Some call that the second coming because we're talking about the first coming. Here in Mark, we're getting the record of Jesus' first coming. And so we call his return the second coming. What does Jesus say about his reappearance on the scene? He says that he's going to come with the Father's glory and with the holy angels. And immediately after these words, he says in Mark 9, 1, I am telling you, some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. Some who here are going to get a sneak peek. Isn't that what he's saying? And we don't have to wait for very long for the payoff on this one. Some of those who hear what Jesus said at the end of chapter 8 about his end of all time coming with the Father's glory get an early revelation within a week, six days. Let me reread verses 2 through 4. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Clark Kent steps out of the phone booth. <laughs> oh, let me start over. 
Clark Kent steps into the phone booth, Superman steps out. Jesus, God's son, came and walked among people as a man. Most of the time, he looked like an ordinary dude. He wouldn't have stood out in any crowd. Nothing extraordinary about his features. He dressed like everybody else, smelled like everybody else, walked where everybody else walked, except that time he walked on water. But here, this is different. Jesus' divine nature, his power and majesty are on full display for a brief moment. He shines like the sun, and these three disciples are stupefied. Verses 5 and 6 are almost comedic. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three huts or three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. He was so frightened. Fear and trembling, that's how frail human beings react to Jesus in all his glory. I want you to listen to John's account of another encounter that he has with Jesus post-resurrection, years later. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, the book that God gave to encourage us in our faith as we wait for Jesus' second coming, John, who'd already been party to this first reveal, is again in awe when he sees Jesus in his divine fullness. Follow along as I read Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is sheer, unadulterated power. He is full of glory. This is his natural state. He would have stood out in the crowd if he was like that all the time. But he came to live as a man. In Jesus' natural state, face down is the proper position for all those who come before him. None can stand in his presence, even those who have been made righteous by faith in him. That God's Son stooped to become a man is a stunning reversal. The glorious one lived among us so that he could save us. How can we not obey him and worship him out of love? What did the Father say to Peter, James, and John? This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. Now I know that much more happened in Mark chapter 9. 
But the vision of Jesus' power and his glory captured my heart this week. I had to talk about this so that we could grow in our confidence in him and in our trust in him. He's able to take care of whatever's happening in our lives. Jesus, God's Son, powerful beyond our imaginations, glorious beyond compare. Pay attention to what he says. Obey him. Listen to him. Let me close with Paul's hymn of praise to our Lord found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. He's talking about Jesus and he says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humble yourselves before the one who was and is in very nature God. Give thanks to him who obediently went to the cross to save all who would believe. Bow your knee to the one whose name is above all others. His name is Jesus and we worship him and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.